Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. be seated and I want to add my voice of welcome to you as well. I'm so glad and so thankful for the record on this. I mentioned my phone already. You know, several people ask me, they're like, well, what kind of high impact, you know, industrial spec? Did you have some kind of military grade phone cover that that uh, that provided protection? Because there is not a scratch on this thing. It is in good working order. There is nothing wrong with it so far, so far. No, 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 blemishes or anything and they're like what is that was that some kind of crazy outer box four hundred dollars to i'll have you know this is an under armor i bought a tj maxx for like 12 bucks so just keep that in mind it held up awesome i'm a huge fan of under armor right now i'm gonna run out monday and buy stock in them um hey one of the things i want to talk about we're just gonna do a little housekeeping thing in here right now just so that uh, you guys are aware and know, because you're going to see a few changes. If you're a f- person that supports this church and supports us with tithes and offerings and, and, and your generosity and your stewardship, your biblical stewardship of your finances, uh, help make this thing work and this thing happen, uh, you're going to, first of all, thank you. Thank you. I say that often and I can't say it enough. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your understanding of biblical stewardship. Uh, but I also say this, there's going to be a little bit of a change. You know, we started 12 years ago with an experiment of putting a kiosk up here and allowing people to be able to give via debit card or a credit card because we understood, you know, 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, people brought to the church, to the temple to worship. They brought live animals as their offering. And then we left that society and, and some, some, you know, trailblazers were like, you know, let's, uh, let's start allowing people, let's start uh, allowing as a acceptable gift, uh, you know, grain and eggs. And, you know, they did that. And, and so there's always been this progression of just keeping up with society about how we accept uh, people's offerings. And so we have attempted 12 years ago, we said we were going to do that as well and recognize that people were starting to go to a more cashless society and young adults were, uh, they didn't bring checkbooks to church. And so if people were paying with check, it was a, really an extra step that we were asking people to do, especially young adults, to, to go bring checkbooks. Just for the record, off, off the subject, kind of. Like two weeks ago, I had a conversation with someone, a young adult, who, when we were talking about that, they, they didn't know about all this. And they were like, yeah, I want to give to the church. I, I guess I've got to go to the bank and go go get some checks because I don't use checks. So, and they asked me, they were like, how, how do I do that? How would I, how, what, what do I have to do to get checks? And I was like, well, good news for you. We don't, there's other methods we have, but just for the record, so that you kind of step, step in this, this is how you get checks also. Just, you know, I did both apps. Anyway, going back, I I traced the rabbit there. In the past, 12 years ago, we connected, partnered with an organization called Secure Give that gave us the option to give via online, to give via kiosk, or to also, and several of of our families do this, they do automatic drafting out of their bank account so that every month, just that set amount, you know, they, they're paid a wage. They know what that wage is every month. So that set amount just goes automatically, just like those other bill pay mechanisms that like city utilities has and that we have that availability also. For the most part, we have not touched that. We have not messed with that for 12 years. 
um, because it's worked well for us. It's, you know, at times it was a little, you know, might you might have to coach some people on how to make it work or how to how to fill in some things. You know, it was a little bit awkward at different times for some folks, just a new experience, but we, we did that. Well, uh, you know, I shared that we haven't touched it for 12 months, 12 years, so you see how serious we believe about that, how serious we, we don't just go in and mess with things just for the fun of it. Uh, we are messing with this now. We are changing this up after 12 years because uh, last several months I've been exploring and looking at and researching other options and some other companies out there that have come along in the game over the last 12 years and discovered one company that we have a high degree of confidence in named PushPay. And PushPay offers the, the same approaches the way, uh, the way we do it currently. Uh, go ahead, Max, and pop that up for us. Pop, pop that slide up. Uh, we are still offering the, the, you know, the old-fashioned cash check, okay? And for the record, that's how I give. That's how Dana and I give. We write a checkout. We fill, out, fill it out, put it in an envelope, and we take it over to the offering box and drop it in. I'm not going to change anything. If that's how you operate to give, that's honestly my preferred method, methodology because then we don't have to pay any kind of user fees on it or any kind of, any kind of uh, bundled batches uh, like a credit card or something. I prefer check. That's the way I do it. Uh, I'm not changing anything there. So if you're sitting there going, oh, are you telling me I have to change up how we give? No, no, I'm not. You can continue to still do that. So we're still accepting check donations, obviously, as a church. We still will have the online mechanism that you can find online if you're used to giving online uh, through our website. Matter of fact, this new form is up live right now on our website, it, so you can give that way. It's going to look a little bit different, but you can give through PushPay online, just like you do currently. We will uh, give with our kiosk. Our kiosk will be updated in the next couple weeks. So right now, if you go to the kiosk, you'll be giving through Secure Give. It's live. It's fine. We're working with a transition to end that. And to, then in a couple of weeks, we're going to start. We're going to wipe that. And the kiosk will change a little bit. Uh, but we'll have that available also through Push Pay in a couple of weeks. And so when you go up there in a couple of weeks, and you see it looks a little bit different on the background. That's the reason why. Uh, a fourth way. Oh, and, and for the record, you can still give through through your automatic drafting as well that will still be there but Pam to those individuals has sent out a letter this week saying hey we're changing services so you need to discount or discontinue your automatic giving through secure give and then sign up with automatic giving on push pay if you choose to do so so we're in the process of changing those folks up you can if you wish to do that you can do that but there's another way I guess a fifth way for this screen, we're saying a fourth way that you can give that the reason we're moving to push pay, recognizing that not only are we a cashless society, we realize for young adults now, a lot of people are moving to where they pay with their phones and they, they just use their phone as a method of payment. So now we have a tool that we never had before, and that is you can choose to give gifts to the church, give your tithe to the gift via text messaging. And it's super easy. And if that's kind of your world, this is now a new tool you can choose to give. And the way you do it is you would text the number 77977. You would, you would use that number. You dial that number, put that number in, and then you would use the text or the word, my Northbridge. It can be uppercase, lowercase, 
does not matter. What does matter is it all has to be one word, okay? So a lot of times, the reason why it's uppercase is it doesn't separate out. If you do it lowercase, your, your uh, autocorrect will oftentimes separate that into three words. And so then if you get an error, that's the reason why. It needs to be all one. When you, you dial or text the number 77977 and put in the message, My Northbridge, it'll take you to our giving page. And it takes about two minutes the first time because you enter in your name and some basic information. From that point on, it takes about 30 seconds. After, after you do your first time with that, then from that time on, it will remember you. And you will have the ability to, uh, to, to give uh, in about a 30-second time period. So again, am I asking everyone to do that? No, 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 absolutely not. You continue to give the way you feel comfortable giving. You continue to give the way you give. This is just one more tool in our toolbox that when you see those changes or if you see those things coming up and you're like, what's up, what's going on here? That's, that's what's going on here, that's what we're doing. The other reason we're using PushPay is because in the new year, it also offers a tool. It's, we're in the process of building an app for Northbridge. So you can download this app just like any other app you have. And this app, yes, there's a, a, it, makes pain, it makes giving a tithe, paying a tithe, an easier option for you by using that app. But even more importantly, the reason why I was super intrigued and interested in this is this app allows us to be able to have 24-7 communication. So you'll have the ability with this app, if you download that to your phone and you have an issue where you need some prayer, you can hit that and send a message out saying, hey, pray for me. And you know that that's going to come to somebody. That's going to go to your church. And it might come to me. It might come to an individual on our leadership team that will have those and be able to distribute those as need be. And have the ability for me to message you as a church. So currently now, you know, say this front that's coming in, say it was coming in actually at like three in the morning this morning. And we, John and I and Dave would have the difficult decision of, well, what do we do with church today? Well, in the past, if we have to cancel service, what do we do? We put it out on Facebook and hope people are looking at Facebook at six in the morning. We call all of our lead or all of our small group leaders and say, hey, tell your people that church is canceled. And then we know we're still probably missing two or three people. And it's just, it is what it is, right? Well, now with this push pay app, I'll be able to, to, if we see that we need to cancel service, I put that out and every single person who has this on their smartphone will get a message saying, services are canceled today. Look us up on Facebook and we'll do a Facebook chat live service at such and such time. And bam, everyone has that communication. I have access to our sermons that you can see. You can, you'll be able to stream us with that. There'll be a lot of tools that will be offered through this app that I'm really excited about. And hopefully if all things go well, it'll be built and we'll be able to roll that out. We'll be able to get that to you if you choose to put that on your phone in sometime in January. So just wanted you to be aware of those changes because I know that if no one ever talks about a change and then a change happens, everyone's like, where did this come from? What's going on here? That's the whole story behind it. I want you to be aware of that and, uh, and excited about these methods uh, that are in front of us right now. So with that in mind, let's go into what we're here to to talk about today, which is about Joseph and looking at his faithfulness in his life. I invite you uh, to open up your uh, scriptures to Matthew chapter 1. I want to tell you a story first uh, because I recognize that that we all at different points in our life have have hard choices that we have to make. And, And honestly, as I was kind of scouring my brain this past week, you know, it was difficult that, I mean, I've certainly had hard choices to make, 
Um, but they, you know, it, I guess I've just been fortunate in that a lot of my hard choices are things like, well, you know, who to marry or where do I go to school at? Uh, you know, do I go into ministry? Do I leave North? Do I leave uh, Southgate Baptist to start Northbridge with a couple of other guys? I, it's those kinds of choices that are forks in the road that are life decisions. But, you know, I'm even thinking about those decisions and those choices even bigger than that, harder than that. And I realized that, you know, I was thinking I could tell funny stories today of a choice I had to make that make you laugh and, 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 you know, but that wouldn't get to the heart of it. I could tell you just as hard, the deepest stories and they're still kind of, you know, just, you know, they're wanting. And, and, and it occurred to me just as I was thinking through this this week, uh, it occurred to me a friend of mine and Dana's really, really these were Dana's friends. And I had the the privilege to meet them through Dana. Uh, Sierra and Dana worked together. Sierra was a tech in Branson uh, when Dana started working in Branson 15 years ago, and met. They became good friends, and then we got a chance. I got to meet Sierra, and then Brian married Sierra. We became friends. Brian's a U.S. attorney serving in uh, Illinois now, and uh, got to become good friends with them. and And about two years ago. They, they get pregnant, I say. Actually, she gets pregnant, right? He's there for moral support. Dana, Dax made sure, made that clear to me this week. He said, you know, Dad, you know, you really didn't do very much. You say that, that you and Mama had me, but really you didn't do very much. You were just there for moral support. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's, you pretty much hit the nail on the head on that one. You know, I was just there just for moral support. Tell her, keep on moving forward, you know. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so Sierra was pregnant, and about 20 weeks into the pregnancy, she gets some reports that were very concerning, very concerning. Uh, the doctors reported to her that there was a high likelihood that this baby uh, had hydrocephalus along with spina bifida, and that this baby, if viable even, if be if this baby would be able to make it to term, would probably not have a life that any of us would want and probably would not be good for anyone to see this baby born. And Sierra and Brian recounted to Dana and I a number of times just the immense pressure they felt from the medical community that were around them at that time that they really needed to consider abortion consider abortion. They really needed to consider terminating the pregnancy because there was just nothing good could come from this. Going to be just suffering and just pain. And, and this would be a better option for everyone. Now, understand Sierra and Brian, they're, they're, they're not just you know, didactic. They're not, they're not stalwarts in a, uh, you know, politically per se. They're not, you know, they don't have an agenda. They're just normal people like you and I. And, and so they honestly, yeah, they considered all the options. They considered, well, gosh, this is what our doctors are telling us. What shouldn't we think through? This is what our nurses that are caring for us are telling us. Should we not consider this or at least pay attention to this? Well, pretty quickly in that process, they were firmly committed to life. They were firmly committed to believe that this baby was given to them by God and that despite, despite whatever issue she had going on with her, God would, would get them through it 
And, and there, there would be blessing because of it, because of it. And so they dug in their heels. They stuck to their guns despite the mounting pressure to abort. They chose to have this baby. And, and I can't report to you some kind of miraculous thing occurring. This baby named Charlotte, we have a picture of her. Here she is with her daddy. And a uh, beautiful baby, beautiful. And there, there's a picture of her. You can see her face. And, and Charlotte was indeed born with hydrocephalus and spina bifida. She has a myriad of issues still to this day with her. Uh, when she was born, she faced within the first 24 hours of her life two emergency brain surgeries that she had to take uh, with, with this uh, they live in Illinois, in Springfield, Illinois. They're doctors, they're specialist doctors that they found that, that specializes with these conditions, uh, is in a children's hospital in Cincinnati. They go there often for treatment and for, for consultation. Uh, know that with this family, life is different for them. Uh, that when they travel, as many of us enjoy family vacation, when they take family vacation, uh, it's with, with a nervousness because if baby Charlotte has something happen, if she has a seizure, they just can't take her to an emergency room because the doctors don't have the equipment, they don't have the tools, they don't have the understanding of how to deal with her like the specialists in Cincinnati do. And so there have been times where they're on vacation or they're traveling and they have to call Cincinnati to find out what to do in specific circumstances. Uh, and, and how to handle things. So life is hard. Life is difficult for this family. When I asked the question, I was in contact with Sierra this week because I wanted permission for her. I wanted her and Brian to know everything I was going to say and to give, give the sign off to me to share with my church family about what's going on with their family. You know, I asked Sierra, I said, you know, tell me just so I can report this. Uh, you know, do you, is there ever a time, is there ever a time where you're like, mm, we probably should have taken the easier approach. We probably, it would have been better for our family if we would have had an aborted Charlotte. And I tell you what, what sprang back to me was not hesitancy or not a, oh, yeah, mm, none of that. What, what was given to me was a resounding never, 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 never. Because they understood, and, she, and Sierra explained to me, and has explained to Dana over, over and over, that even though this road is so hard for them as a family, they know that they are so much better because of Charlotte. They know that already they can see God's hand at work in their family and in the community around them, and they can see how Charlotte is showing the kindness and the grace of God in ways that would never, ever happen if it was just a traditional birth with, with you know, normal, healthy uh, circumstances. And they see God at work, and, they, and Sierra, Sierra tells us, uh, and has told us, told us to Dana and I over and over, of what a blessing, what a blessing this child is. And they have never, have, have they had a doubt of saying, maybe, maybe we should have taken an easier approach. What we're talking about today is hard choices, friends. And the reality is, Hard choices are a part of life. Hard choices. Some of us have had to face hard choices in our life. And, 
And they speak about our character, don't they? They speak about what we believe in life and what, how we choose to live life. They speak about who we are and what we're becoming. And it's easier when we're, when we're facing some of these hard choices, it's easy for us to, to shake our fist at God and say, Why, if you're so good, are you making me go through this? God, if you're as perfect as you say you are, and you love me as much as you say you love me, you love my family as much as you say you love my family, then why, why does a good and loving God allow this to exist in this world? That's a fair question. I believe, and I don't mean to give an answer that's trite or an answer that just is flippant, but in the core of my being, I mean, I feel it in my bones. I can taste it in my mouth. I am convinced that God uses and allows these hard choices to come into our life, not because he's cruel and vindictive, not because he's like one of those movies made in the 70s about the Greek pantheon that these Greek gods just love being entertained by our tragedy and by our plights. No, God doesn't put those hard choices in our path for those reasons or allow them to exist in front of us for those reasons. But I am convinced that God has made these hard choices we deal with to act as tools that grow us, that shape us, that mold us in incredible ways. And it, they, they, for whatever reason, God chooses hard choices to be the hammer and the chisel that chips away at all the chinks and all the chunks into the masterpiece known as you and we. And it's with that in mind that we come to this passage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, let's just stop right there because most of us, we know the whole story. And so we continue on and we know that Joseph had a dream as he had to decide to put her away privately. He has a dream. He goes to sleep. He has a dream. He sees an angel of the Lord who says, Joseph, what Mary said is true. Take her. Do not fear. Take her to be your wife and name, name this son Jesus. Uh, he is the son of God. And so jo Joseph has that dream. He does what he does. And they go, you know, to Bethlehem. They have the baby. We know the story, right? But for now, for today, let's just stop at this verse. Here we have a man who loves a woman. They are, they are contracted together. They are pledged to be married together. J Mary reveals to Joseph, I'm pregnant. And we both know it's not yours. And Joseph is so hurt. He feels so betrayed. He hears what Mary says, but I got to think Mary, Joseph say, Mary, do you think I fell off a turnip truck? Do, do, do you really believe that I believe God made you pregnant? That's never happened. That's never happened. And I got to believe that Joseph felt so betrayed by Mary. 
and we see something that we just overlook so often. We read past it because we know the whole story. This man who was betrayed, who felt betrayal, who felt incredible hurt from someone who he's pledged to be married to, he chooses, instead of dragging her through a public divorce that will be ugly and painful for her, and everyone will pat him on the back and say, better luck next time, Joseph. Hope you can pick a better one next time, and he can move on in life. He chose, he was going to choose to not take that course, but instead put her away privately to save her the indignity and the pain. And the scripture says, why? Because he was a man who knew and loved the law of God. He knew and loved the ways of God. And because of that, he was making a choice that was so painful and so tough but it was the right choice. It would have been the right choice for Joseph if he would have continued to go that road and if there was not an interception during a dream. Now, before we move on, let's talk about marriage because we need to understand that marriage was understood to be something a little bit different in the days of the Jews. And, and for the record, uh, the conservative Jews, the Orthodox Jews today still practice the same types of marriage ceremonies that Joseph practiced. So there were three things that were very important in a marriage ceremony, in a marriage, in the conditions of marriage uh, to these Jews. Joseph and Mary would have experienced this. First of all, the first thing was a thing called the mahar. The mahar was a gift that the, the father of the groom would give to the father of the bride. The idea was a financial, a financial thing because when this wife, this woman, this daughter is leaving her family, there is a significant opening in their home. She has a workload that will no longer be done by her in this family. And so there needs to be some, some payment to help cover the job that she's leaving behind, the, the responsibility she has with her family. Uh, they're going to feel that hole there. And so the, the, the groom, the bride of the, the father of the groom should is recognizing that and is helping this family out, at least in the short term. Now, now the, this mahar is on a sliding scale, right? If, if this fiance, this woman is a prized woman, she's a catch, that mahar could be a very big, you know, we call them dowries. That was a dowry. This mahar could be very big. If, if this woman here was not such a prize, right? It might be a lot smaller. Now, I've, I've aged over the years. I am wise. The Tony of 10 years ago would have had five jokes in this moment to put in here. I would know now since then, since those early years, I know that I would offend at least a half a dozen people with a joke. I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to just allow for some white noise for you to put your own joke in there. Okay? So you just create your own joke in this moment about what this mahar could be and, and what, what that, you know, the, the sliding scale for women here. Oh, I can't help myself, Dave. I want to say something really bad, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Um, okay. Cleansing breath. I'm moving on. So there's the mahar. So now... <laughs> can't help it. So now there's the matan. And the matan is the gift that the, so you have the mahar that the father gives to the father. The matan is the gift that the groom gives to the, the spouse. The groom gives to the bride. Think of it today. For us, it's the wedding ring, right? 
and the wedding ring. Fortunately, I didn't know this rule when I bought Dana's ring because I've since learned that, you know, it should be four months of salary saved up and that should be the wedding ring. I had no clue about that when I bought Dana's ring. So I was like, oh man, I wish I would have known that protocol because life would have been different for Dana. You know, she got a bigger ring. I didn't know it at the time. I just bought what I could afford, right? I saved up a little bit for a little season, but it wasn't four months of salary for me to, to buy this ring. So believe it or not, the, the, the Matan was also the same time frame. It was four months. The idea was the gift that the groom would give the bride should be equal to four months of whatever his salary would be. And that would be a gift. It usually is just, tr- just a financial gift. Or maybe it's precious metal. It's, it's something that is worth something monetarily. It, don't think of it as a wedding ring. Think of it as an insurance policy. Okay, this would be provided to the woman and it's her property. And so if the groom dies, it stays her property. And so that's thought of that that's going to be used to help her live while she's getting back on her feet. And it's not going to send her to the poorhouse. It's going to be a security net to keep her from uh, from having to go into prostitution to just survive. So and the, and the thinking, and we'll get into this a little bit more in just a moment. Uh, if if the husband chose to leave the wife the matan stayed with the wife because that was to be there for her. Which, for the record, so we hear stories, you know, and if you've been around Bible teaching very long, you've heard stories that there were some groups of Jews that said that you could, a man could divorce his wife for any reason. You know, if, if she burned the eggs, then that would be grounds for divorce. And we've heard that. And that's really a horror story. I mean, I'm not making light of that. That's, you know, it offends me. It offends me to think, wow, there would be a society that, you know, that would treat women in such such a degree. Well, what they didn't know when they taught that or what they didn't realize or they didn't say is what counterbalanced that was that those same men who could be hard-hearted and want to divorce their wife for burned eggs also knew that four months of their salary was at the disposal of the wife. And so if he left for any arbitrary reason, he was going to be losing a significant financial piece that was a part of the home was a part of the household and he would have to leave that. So that does help if someone is truly a jerk and say, I'm going to leave you because you burned my eggs. Well, that same jerk is usually astute enough financially to go and I'm prepared to hurt myself financially over this. You see, it was meant to be kind of a counterbalance to protect the women in to, to at least some degree. So you had these two things in play. The third part in a wedding was called the ketubah. What that was, was a legal contract. It was Tort law. So don't think of it like a wedding contract that we have or wedding, the marriage license that we have today, because, you know, those marriage licenses, uh, you know, chances are there's probably someone within the hearing of my voice that their their marriage license was signed illegally or was not filed properly. And you know what? We see on sitcoms that were made in the 70s where someone finds out their wedding license was no longer valid and they haven't been married for 25 years. And so they got to have a marriage now. You know, we, we've seen that in, in episodes of TV shows that just plainly doesn't happen. That doesn't happen because there's honestly not a lot of teeth in a marriage license practically today. Now, lawyers listening to me would be like, you're wrong, Tony, you're wrong. And I just say, how many people have been married or have been, you know, have, have gone to jail over it? You know, they, they, what I'm trying to make clear is these ketubas, there were teeth in this license, okay, in this, this contract. They, they would sign the contract when they get engaged. And as far as the society was concerned, when this ketubah was signed, they were married 
the ceremony just has not happened yet. But they are under the full ramifications of marriage. So we understand that Mary and Joseph, before she found out about Jesus, had signed the ketubah. They were married to be together. They were pledged together. Now, in this ketubah, we have them. We have, we have, uh, we have, you can go online and find ketubahs that are 2,000 years old and see how they're written. Today, Jews today still practice and they have the same wording that was there 2,000 years ago. And this is what's so interesting because, uh, and the nuance here, because if in the ketubah would be spelled out that if, if a divorce occurred because the wife did something worthy of divorce, meaning like having a baby out of wedlock, cheating on her husband, you know, some kind of high crime and misdemeanor that would make the husband say, I have to divorce you. Because what you've done is so evil, I can't have you in my family any longer. I have no choice here. If the wife were to do something like that, it's spelled out in the ketubah that the dad can take his gift back from her dad, and the husband can take his gift back from the wife. And she is left without anything, right? Because it's her shame that caused and her poor, poor decisions that made the divorce happen. In the ketubah, it's also spelled out that if this husband is going to be a jerk of a man and want to divorce his wife because she burned the eggs or she did something insignificant that he says is worthy of divorce, or even if he wakes up and just says, you know what, I want to go to Vegas this week and I don't want to be married. I don't want to be shackled with a wife anymore. By golly, I'm getting divorced. If he were to do anything like that, it's spelled out in the ketubah that she keeps her money. She keeps her she keeps the matan. Uh, the, the dad gets to keep the mahar, and those things stay there. It's spelled out in the, in, the, in the ketubah, in the marriage contract. So now do you see the nuance that's behind Joseph's decision here? When he says, I have a choice to divorce her and do it publicly, but because of his grace and because of the love in him and because of his kindness, he says, or I can put her away quietly. Do you see the implications that he's weighing here and he recognizes what he does? If he divorces Mary publicly, it's going to be, everyone's going to basically be known that it's Mary's fault. Joseph is doing the right thing because Mary cheated on him and she's pregnant with another man's child. It's her fault. If he puts her away quietly, here's what would happen. Now, this is not, this is not spelled out implicitly, but this is how it would have played out. If he just quietly separates from her and takes the legal proceeding to the priest and says, this is what we're going to do, and I want to leave her. Mary keeps her, you know, Matan, her dad keeps the Mahar. Uh, everyone knows that they're separated. They see that Mary starts growing and start is with child. Here's what would probably be said about what happened in the scenario. Since Joseph chose not to make it a public issue and not to shame her, probably most people would look at it and be like, that Joseph is a dog. He is a dog. He got this woman pregnant and decided he didn't want a baby this early in the marriage or decided that he didn't like her in bed. She, she was not what he expected. And he got rid of her. He got rid of her. What a jerk that man is. <laughs> Terrible. Why would they think that? Because he chose to do it quietly because the shame is on him. Right? This is a, this is a shame-based culture. And so, so if the shame would have been on her, of course Joseph would say, it's all her fault. I'm divorcing her and I'm making it as public and as loud as possible. So here's the choice. Mary's fault or Joseph's indecision? If he chose divorce, it would be Mary's shame. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago about 
what that would look like for Mary for years to come. Or it would be if, if he puts her away quietly, it's Joseph's shame. It's now, he's a dog. He's a jerk. He won't stand up and do the right thing and be a real man, you know? Uh, if he divorces Mary publicly, it's Mary's financial loss and putting her at risk to have to go into prostitution or begging on the streets. If he puts her away quietly, it means it's, he's guaranteeing Mary's financial security and that she keeps his money and she's provided for through this tough season. If he divorces her publicly, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, her future's ruined. Their future is over. No one's going to touch her. No one's going to be around her. She is going to have shame hanging over her head for the rest of her life as she's trying to be a single mom. If he puts her away privately, that is the best chance for her future to be as intact as possible because what people will do is they'll look at her and they'll be like, Mary, we're sorry you connected with this bum of a man. You know, you picked wrong. Maybe your next round you'll pick better. Maybe, maybe you'll get the man you deserve in the future, but not it wasn't Joseph because he's a jerk, right? Now, with that in mind, isn't it incredible that this guy, at this stop, now we know the rest of the story, but let's just stop here and think that he made this decision at this point. He felt the tragedy. He felt the loss. He felt the shame. He felt her stab him in the heart because he believed she cheated on him. And yet he is so righteous as to say, I care about you so much. I will take on the shame for myself and bear it. And let's give you as much as you can have. And let's take care of you as best as we can in this terrible circumstances. We, it's this is something we can be impressed. We can be impressed. I mean, the, the integrity of this man, absolutely amazing. His fortitude, no one like him in this day and age. Now, we can make a choice here. We can choose to be impressed with this guy, and we can put him in the halls of the other great men and women that we have in, in our minds. We, you know, he could be right there with... with George Washington, who never told a lie. With Abraham Lincoln, who had to make tough decisions to preserve a union. With Davy Crockett, who fought a bar. You know? Uh, we, could, we, we could put him there with all these great men. And then what we do is we sit back and go, wow, he sure is someone to be impressed with. Boy, he's not like me. I, I could only hope to be kind of like him one day. But, man, he is awesome. He is incredible. Let's not do that today. Let's instead look at him and say, this man is a normal blue-collar carpenter, works with his hands. He's a normal guy like you and I, and yet he did something. He responded in such a grace-filled manner. Why did Joseph do this? How did he do this? He was a normal guy. If Joseph could respond with this kind of love and mercy and kindness in life when he was facing a difficult decision, so could we. We could also respond in the same way because the reality is this. Joseph was looking forward to the Messiah in the same way that we look back to the Messiah. You see, Joseph had the same kind of faith perspective we have. The only difference was he was looking towards what Jesus would bring to, to earth. We're looking back to what Jesus has brought to earth. 
You see? I mean, it's a difference by time, but it's the same faith perspective that we have. And I believe that Joseph, one of the things that was governing him and guiding him is something that we have to have in place in our lives, which is that there is a strong sense that God is watching, he is guiding, he is instructing us, and that he will bless us when his children act rightly when we make the right decisions based on his guidance based on his instruction we will experience blessing even in the midst of the storm even in the midst of the struggle you see i believe that joseph was living out what was pinned down some 70 to 100 years after he existed after jesus was born he pinned he lived out the words pinned out in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 when it says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you see Joseph was surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses of the 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 men and women of faith from the Old Testament he knew their stories he saw how they sometimes had to make the hard decisions and struggle and suffer and in the end God blessed them God rewarded them God counted them as righteous Joseph knew this and he continued on and the writer says let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us and for many of us the race that is marked out is a gut-wrenching race a hard race a race that no it's not fair no there are other people that have easier roads to hoe no it's not all right all the time but it's a road that is marked out for you and the writer is saying let us live let us let us continue to to run with perseverance don't give up don't quit don't give in run this race that's marked out for you Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He, Jesus, endured the cross. He took the hard path, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in life. You see, friends, Joseph understood what we understand, and that is sometimes life is so hard, and sometimes life is so unfair. And Joseph chose, in this moment that we were thinking about and talking about, he chose not to take the easy way out, the way that everyone would pat him on the back and say, man, Joseph, sorry, you got a raw deal on this one, buddy. No, he was choosing to take the hard way because it was the right way. Brian and Sierra chose not to take the easy way out. They took the right way because it was God's way, right? And so by that, what, what, what is Joseph doing here? He is putting his eyes on the prize, which is to know that one day he would be in Abraham's bosom and be blessed by God. You see, isn't it? God is an ironic God. Because Joseph, God knew that Joseph was looking to the Savior. He was looking to the Messiah faithfully. And God was saying, guess what? That Messiah that you're looking towards is going to be your child. Isn't that funny? I mean, the irony that God would do that to Joseph and say, this God that gives you hope in life, this God, this Messiah that will inspire you is going to be your son. And because of that, you can take faith in the journey 
You can have perseverance in this journey. Why? Because some 30 years later, Jesus would take a journey so hard. He would take a journey that he could have given up on. He could have quit. Satan offered him a way out and said, just worship me and I'll give you what you want. I'll give you, you want the keys to the kingdom of the hearts of all these people? I'll give it to you if you just worship me. You don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. Jesus said, no, no. He took the hard way because it was the right way. And friends, here's the reality. For some of you, you're facing life and life is hard. Life is hard. But where you're at right now is right where you're supposed to be at. So don't sit back and think you've done something wrong and somehow somehow God is punishing you because you're choosing the hard choice right now. But do what Joseph did and do what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do and run knowing that there's a cloud of witnesses around us that are telling us to keep on moving forward. And to run with perseverance the race that's in front of us and put our eyes on our Messiah, the author and the perfecter of our faith, knowing that just as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, one day we too will be in his kingdom and we will be able to see him with clarity and we will be able to experience him in real time and he will make all things right and he will bless you and he will reward you for your righteousness and for how you live out life according to his will and according to his path. Let's pray. Father, we come in this season and we celebrate the advent of Jesus. We celebrate the annunciation of Jesus. We celebrate the nativity of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing that when we put our eyes on him, like Joseph, we can make hard decisions. Thank you for stories like the one that we just encountered in this scripture to remind us to do the hard things. Do the hard things in life. God, give us, give us the, the same grit that Joseph had. God, would you give us the same grit that Brian and Sierra has? And that when we have to make hard decisions... And we go down the hard path, not because of foolishness on our part or not because of our own stupidity or poor choices, but because we know sometimes the hard path is the path you've assigned to us Then help us, God, to be people where we persevere through that race, knowing that you are with us always. And just keep us, keep us in that mode, God. May we experience your presence. May we feel your presence. May we feel that hand holding our hand. May we feel you beside us, cheering us on. May we feel you and experience you and know that you are there with us in whatever we're facing. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.